Hello and welcome to another episode of Empower Apps. I'm your host, Leo Dion. Today we have with us Lucas Adara. Hey, Lucas. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, good to talk to you. A little bit different this time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Role reversal. Yeah. So a few months ago, we did an episode or I guested on Responder Chain. Uh, how's that been going? Uh, it's been going okay. I, I haven't really try to keep a you know weekly guest necessarily so uh, lately i've been kind of a little bit more busy with work and it's uh squandering some of my actual other outside activities but it's uh it's it's been good i i think i'm gonna try to reach out to some other sort of bigger name mac guests perhaps to get some other opinions and perhaps go over some wwdc stuff as well but um i think i think the concept of the show has been received pretty well and um i think uh, some some of the uh, i think some people are really enjoying the aspects of diving into some of the details on developing certain aspects of mac apps i know with the last uh guest that i had on we talked about sort of menu bar applications and stuff and um that's just one of those things that i've personally always been bothered by when people attempt to make those is that they sort of go off and they just use uh, NS popover to do it, which is, you know, it's very easy to do it that way. But um, with all this talk lately, and I don't know if uh, you've been queuing into that, but all this talk about what it makes a Mac app, a Mac app kind of happens every WWC, I think. But uh, this is one of those episodes where uh, it was good to talk about sort of what makes at least menu bar applications on Mac OS a sort of fun and more usable experience than just using uh, sort of the default controls that you're given. So yeah, exactly. Better than that, uh, yeah, it's 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 been it's been a good series anyway. But uh, I, I haven't been very reliable with it, which unfortunately is always uh, <laughs> something I struggle with. I think but, uh, so. Well, I think we all struggle with that. Yeah, yeah. So we'll have a link to Responder Chain in the in the your YouTube channel in the show notes for others to check it out. There's definitely some good good stuff on there. I did that episode on Speculid. I think you're up to like four episodes, five episodes. It's five now. Yeah, I think we're okay. Next one will be six. So. Cool. Uh, go ahead. I'll let you introduce yourself. Yeah. So uh, I'm Lucas Terra. I uh, mostly what I'd be known for is running the Apple programming uh, YouTube channel. And I've been doing that now for a number of years on and off. But um, basically, it's a mainly Mac development focused channel. It spans C, Objective-C, and now uh, Cocoa programming tutorials. Uh, that obviously might change with some Swift UI stuff in the future, but we'll talk about that. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that that's sort of the main focus I have. I also uh, currently am maintaining the Git Up application, which is a Git UI client for Mac OS that I've used for, I don't know, five or six years now. And uh, I did not create the client, but uh, the, the guy who did create the client also became really busy with life, I guess. And uh, so I sort of have taken over with that, but uh, I'm also busy with life. So we, we don't maintain it as much as, uh, you know, would be awesome to do, but uh, it's, it's a good little <laughs> app. And if you uh, struggle with uh, sort of, it's got undo and redo support for Git and uh, a bunch of other fun things, like a nice little map view to view all your branches and stuff. So if you're looking to try out a new Git client, uh, you might might be interested in it. So. Cool. Yeah, we'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. 
So what's your quick thoughts on WWDC this year? Yeah, I mean, obviously it was the first one that we've had that was all remote. Um, and I actually think I enjoyed the format um, quite a bit. That was, so I mean, generally speaking, your your format is in-house and that means that everybody has to have this sort of 40-minute allotment of time that they have to fill for whatever topic they have. And uh, in the past few years, I found that there are definitely a number of talks where you, you're kind of sitting there watching it, whether it's online or whatever, with <laughs> you're trying to figure out why there was 40 minutes of content in this particular <laughs> WWC talk. And and I and I know, I mean, I I guess I missed this in my introduction as well, but I, I worked at Apple for, for three years and uh, there are some talks that I remember people doing and I'm like, I don't know why this really needs to take 40 minutes of time. And so this year it was a little bit nice to see those talks that didn't need to take that long and still get into WWDC, but, uh, you know, in the really, the amount of time that they needed to cover the topic. So overall, I think they did a great job with sort of presenting the topics and, uh, I thought the flow was pretty nice for watching it at home, which at the end of the day is what most people are doing anyway with WWDC. I mean, even when it was in person, most people aren't actually attending in person that watch, uh, these talks. So I thought it was kind of a more appropriate set up honestly so uh, as far as the presentation went i thought that was pretty good the actual content of the presentation was surprisingly a lot of mac stuff actually and usually i find myself yeah, right i find myself ranting about how uh, there aren't a lot of mac things happening with wdc mm-hmm. and apple in general and so uh, but this year it actually felt like the focus was quite a bit on mac in general um, whether that be with the new macs themselves running Apple Silicon, or it was um, the actual content of uh, the new Mac OS, sort of the new design flow that they have introduced in Mac OS. So, uh, and even in, when I was watching, um, I think it was State of the Union, even that presentation, I kind of earmarked how much time they dedicated to Mac OS in there. And I, I think it was almost half the video that they dedicated to the Mac in one way or the other. So, um, overall, I can't really complain, I guess, about how much Mac sort of thought they had during um the presentation as far as the actual content of what they introduced for macros i don't know if there was honestly that much but they certainly talked about it a lot so um that, that's my thoughts on <laughs> the general general overview of dub dub anyway yeah it was definitely like half of the state of the union and probably half of the keynote was definitely on the mac stuff for sure and it was a big yeah it was definitely a big year for the mac and I think it's interesting to get a lot of reactions from like the iOS dev community because for them, for once, I feel like they probably feel like they were, there's definitely like app clips and widgets, but it didn't seem like a big year for iOS, quite honestly. And it's sort of a role reversal for for Mac devs who always have felt like DubDub has kind of shunned away from the Mac stuff. And that was definitely not the case this year, why do you think somebody who is an iOS developer should consider like building a Mac app? Because that certainly seems like a big emphasis from this year and a lot of the talks was like trying to encourage more Mac development from the iOS dev community, um, you know, with things like Catalyst, for instance, or even like being able to do just run an iOS app in Apple Silicon machines and things like that. It seems like there's a big 
push from Apple to get more Mac development done by iOS developers? Why why should iOS devs even consider that? That's a good question. And well, <laughs> I guess one the, the most obvious reason might be money. Um, so <laughs> that's a good reason. Well, so I mean, the reason I say that is just that I, iOS as a platform is very very saturated, and if you're selling an app, I mean. If you're putting even a you know a five dollar price tag on it, you're you're probably really struggling to get the people that you know you you might get some people to buy it, but it has to be pretty much the best app in the world. Um, and on the Mac platform, that's really not the case. Where you can put a five dollar Mac app that does very little, and um, you might still get people to buy it, honestly, because <laughs> there's for for any given sort of segment of work that you might do on mac os there's not that many good apps that actually um do that thing so um i I think that might be a very compelling reason to to try it um but aside from that aspect i think i don't like to conflate both ios and mac apps as being the same thing and i think unfortunately that's kind of what apple did with catalyst when they first launched it was that it was very, you know, hey, you already have made an iPad OS application. Why don't you just, you know, throw it on the Mac because people can also use it. And obviously that's not how they sold it, but uh, or at least completely how they sold it. But I, I think ultimately with Mac apps, there there is sort of this expectation of being able to do more with it. And I shouldn't say more necessarily. I mean, they both have their sort of platform strength. So obviously iOS is very suited to shooting something on the camera or GPS or various other things, the Mac is just never really going to be suitable for. So there is a different set of applications and those applications generally are along the lines of productivity enhancement while you're working on the Mac, because even though we all might like iOS, most of us are still probably using, at least in the developer world, we're still using Mac OS for (laughs) probably eight hours a day or more. So um, it's, it's still one of those things that, there's still a large base of people that use it. And if you're looking to do sort of a more productivity-based application, I think that's kind of where the Mac app fits in. And I wouldn't just recommend anybody build a Mac app for the sake of it. If you have an iOS app, I don't really think that necessarily works. I think there is uh, I think there is some considerations to think through if you are trying to port your application from iOS to macOS as an iOS developer. So it's that time of the year you're probably trying to build that brand new app for iOS 14 that you want to get out in time for fall. But one thing you should probably think about is how are people going to find this new app? You could try to rely on your social media feed, but it might be a good idea to take a look at App Store optimization. And that's where App Figures comes in. We've talked about app figures before on this podcast, and we've had Ariel, their CEO, on the show talking about how you can optimize your app for the App Store. And they've just released brand new ASO teardowns, which have taken a look at some of the big names on the App Store, but also looked at some indie apps like FootMob, which I'll have a link in the show notes below. These teardowns take a look step by step at what these apps are doing right and what they're doing wrong to get their name out on the App Store. And just recently, they've launched a brand new competitor intelligence report, which is live right now. These new competitor reports from App Figures give you the ability to see competitor downloads, build performance benchmarks, and see new trends as they happen. You can see it in action by clicking the link in the episode notes below. So go ahead and give App Figures a try for free. 
And if you like it, use our special code EMPOWER3030 to get 30% off for the next three months. Again, just go to adfigures.com and try it for free. Use our special code or the link in our show notes below to get 30% off for the next three months. I want to thank AppFigures for sponsoring our show. It's funny you're talking about productivity apps and like the different markets for the different app stores uh, and Catalyst specifically because it seems like they have the opposite problem with the iPad where it's like the iPad market is so cheap um, that it's hard to get solid productivity apps on the iPad. Like, I think that there's issues. Uh, there has had been more issues um, with the iPad, like the hardware itself, but I feel like that's getting better and better. But then in the long run, like the market is still set up for dinky little, like $5 apps. And it's like, how, how are you expected to make serious money on a serious productivity app when you're charging only like, the expectations are so cheap uh, when it comes to apps on the iPad. And it's like funny because like on the Mac, like you said, like the expectations are a lot um, more fortunate for developers because there is an expectation of paying serious bucks on on a good app. Yeah, I mean, the expectation of paying $5 is really not something crazy on the Mac App Store or just the Mac in general. Uh, it's funny that I, I when I even think more about this, even with iPad apps, it's actually still kind of an issue where uh, a good majority, I don't, I don't know about majority, but a good chunk of applications that are built for iOS really aren't built for iPad. Um, and I, you know, I, I have an iPad at home and I'd say a good half the apps that I use still are just launching as a small iPhone based application, right? So even with the iPad, they still struggle to get people to actually focus on it. I think the nice thing about Catalyst is that, hey, you you know, you already know UI kit and you could, you know, obviously if you already have an iPad app, it's good, but you could build an iPad app and we could also get you sort of this double market share thing where you'd be on the iPad and you'd also be on the Mac. And so I think there's a little bit of an incentive there as well. But yeah, it's it's definitely, it's definitely one of those things that I, I think you just got to kind of, consider what your your audience is for what you're trying to build so um i i, I just a- apple tries to make it seem like any app could be anywhere and in some cases that is true i mean if you're doing a podcast application or something like that you know obviously that could span everywhere but right i think i think there are considerations to to put into all the platforms so i think like there there are certain apps where like the transition from like ipad app to mac app makes sense um, and, and I could see like that being a use case for Catalyst, but not like there is some definitely some merit to creating a real robust native Mac app, like that's fully baked as like AppKit or, or SwiftUI, and we'll get into that in a bit, a little bit. But yeah, I think like yeah, it, it's it's difficult to make like a real robust app just out of like native iOS or, or catalyst onto the Mac. Like what's your decision process as far as taking an iOS app and putting it on the Mac? Like, do you just start from scratch? Would you like, would you like just use catalyst? Would you like actually like maybe just use native iOS? What's, what do you think are some decisions that you'd make in making that transition? Sure. What do you mean by native iOS versus Catalyst, I guess? Uh, like Apple Silicon supports iOS without like any sort of code changes. That's mm. what I meant. I see. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess at the end of the day, well, I think for most applications that are 
already written for iOS uh, to to make it a, a catalyst application. I don't think it's really a stretch, um, you know, to just <laughs> make it run. I guess I should say on a Mac. I mean, it, mm-hmm. as it as it is, it's, it is fairly straightforward. Where you pretty much just click the button, and uh, there might be some things you have to change, but it's not going to take you too long to get something running. Right. So, I mean, as far as sort of the minimum level of what I'd like to see, I think uh, Catalyst for for a Mac app is probably better than just having uh, the native iOS stuff. But um, right, I think as far as a sort of a full thought process, it, it really depends on the person and what the application is. If you're a person that already knows AppKit and you're familiar with that space, then I have a hard time seeing how Catalyst is going to be sort of the savior for you. Now, obviously, right there, there's tons of everything. Everything takes time. And that's, I think, the biggest thing for you know any group of people that are making an application is how long it's going to take me to also flesh out this Mac side of the app. And I think that really depends on whether the Mac is your focus for your clientele, right? So if, if the focus is mostly iOS, then it is a hard sell to convince somebody that they should make an AppKit application. And, uh, you know, as much as I love <laughs> AppKit, and that's pretty much all I talk about on my channel, it's still one of those things that you pretty much want to be Mac-focused if you're going to be going that route. And that's not to say that you can have both, but for time's sake, it it is, you know, it's not a trivial amount of time to make an entirely separate application and then maintain both of those code bases. So it's... You know, obviously there can be a lot of shared code. It is just a UI layer on top, but you still have to be able to, you know, have the discipline to actually separate out those uh, those layers well enough so that you're not uh, rewriting a lot of code between the two platforms. Yeah, no, I I, I think like the ideal case is like writing a in, in the Swift UI or app or app kit. I think that like it really depends on your budget and your expertise with your team and things like that, that make it like worthwhile. And also like, it was, it was odd to me how they demoed like a monument Valley on Apple Silicon. <laughs> I was just like, who, like, I love that game, but like who wants to play 90% that on of the, the fun of it is touch controls. And <laughs> right. it's like, why do I want to play it on a dinky little window on my like XDR yeah. pro? It like, doesn't, this, it doesn't this is make the, sense. This, these are the kind of demos that Apple does with, and they did it with catalyst too, where it's like, you just check the checkbox and now it's running on the Mac. And, uh, these kind of demonstrations kind of, they kind of peeve me a little bit because I'm like, yeah, they do. But there's a reason that they didn't build this game on Mac OS. Like, <laughs> you know like there's you know think 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 of the games that you play on computers versus the games you play on your phone i mean there's a reason that the the first person shooter games are not built for ios right because the experience without a mouse honestly is pretty awful so um right. it's it's a, it's you know yes you can port it but these are the kind of demonstrations that <laughs> kind of annoy me to no end is like yeah it it works on the platform but and you know somebody's gonna buy it but is this is this what anybody really wanted? I don't think so. This is that why you spend ten grand on a Mac Pro so you can play Monument. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, but you know, I, I mean, I'm glad it works. But at the same time, it's it's one of those like, yeah, it works. That's that's kind of where my excitement ends, I guess, with with that kind of thing. So, so let's say you have, um, well, not exactly a limitless budget, but let's say you were going to build your ideal app on the Mac. Which would you pick then? Would you pick AppKit or SwiftUI? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I've been doing a lot of thinking about this lately. And um, and after watching 
all the videos that are there. I, I, I think it still kind of depends on what the application is that you're building. If, if you intend to use the Mac to its, you know, completely full potential, I think you're still going to need AppKit. Um, and I, I know they've introduced a lot of new things around sort of the scene basis. So you kind of have the app and then you have multiple scenes where there's sort of windows and documents and, and settings and various other things uh, in Swift UI now. The problem with all this stuff is if you dive into the API, they're still relatively limited. I mean, if you compare sort of the NS document capabilities to what this document group stuff is in Swift UI, you're still missing a bunch of functionality. And I was even looking at the window group stuff as a as an example most people can relate to. I mean, there's there's sort of certain things you're supposed to customize with it. It's like if you want to customize the window title to look like this thing, then um, I, I think there's just still certain aspects of it that are going to limit you in one way or the other. And that could be fine. Uh, and I'm not saying that your app needs to do these special custom things, but I think you're still going to run into cases where, you know, somebody in your design <laughs> or you're trying to design it, whoever's designing it comes up with an idea and it's like, well, that's not really going to, be supported too well in Swift UI, and, and actually in one of the responder chain episodes with, um, I think it was uh, Malin that we we had on, and she she had built an entire Mac app using Swift UI, and um, for the most part it looked great, but throughout that application she had all these little hacks around customizing scroll views and uh, the clip views and a, a bunch of sort of digging into the app kit because behind the scenes a lot of it still is just app kit and. Um, so there's all these special hooks basically she would try to add in to to override the be- the default behavior that Swift UI would create for it. And you know, with without those, I mean, if you're just using AppKit, you already have all those hooks because you can subclass any of it. And I mean you have you have access to what Swift UI is using. So for all intents and purposes, you you know, you have that control. But with Swift UI, there are still places where you know, if you looked up how to do it, you're going to come across an AppKit solution that does not really exist in Swift UI, and so um, it, it's hard to fully recommend that you know just build everything in Swift UI at this point, simply for that reason alone. And I, I think it's gotten better, and for maybe ninety percent of the people that are trying to make a, an application for the Mac, it's fine. Um, but I think if you're building an application, it's very uh, specific to the Mac platform, I think you might run into cases where you find it's difficult to achieve what you're you're trying to achieve ultimately. So, what are some of the issues? So, it sounds like she had issues with the scroll view. What are other issues you've run into with Swift UI? Uh, personally, I'm still fairly. I stayed away mostly from Swift UI at this point, so I'm not even going to pretend that I, um, you know, I'm the Swift UI expert here. I I just know from looking at the APIs and what's available to you that. If you compare what's available in the API for Swift UI, there are things that are missing from those APIs that sort of the underlying AppKit components have. And again, I don't think it's going to be um, the deal breaker of the century, but I think they, they assume a lot of default functionality that they'd like you to use. Um, a good example of this was when I was watching the document based app section for uh, Swift UI, and they kind of go through this demo of creating a document-based app that has uh, the title bar that has, you know, sort of the standard uh, in Mac OS, there's the standard document functionality where you 
I'm trying to think of what the word is, but basically there's the title along the top and it says whether you're edited or not. Right. And basically they just kind of like, they're like this, this is there. And that's this behavior comes for free and, and it does come for free in AppKit too, but there's sort of like <laughs> between that title bar and what's below you, there isn't like a lot of customization. It's basically here's the title bar for free. And then you plop whatever view you want in here for, for that as well. And um, I, there's, there's just small things again. I think if you're the average developer that um, is starting up with Mac OS and you haven't already learned AppKit, then I think SwiftUI will probably be fine for, you know, 99% of your cases. And so it's, it's obvious to me that SwiftUI will become sort of the default, but it's also obvious to me that right. AppKit is not going to go away tomorrow, right? I mean, it's still going to be here for at least another five years, probably where they're still supporting these things. And now, with that said, I don't think you're sort of exclusive on these options necessarily either, right? So before this... Du- well, there is, there's probably some sort of like, in UI kit, obviously there's things like UI view representable or UI view controller representable. And I, I would assume that there's the same thing in app kit, like NS view controller representable and et cetera. So obviously like there's a, at least some leeway in out- allowing you to slowly transition. Right. Uh, and uh, like back and forth. That's that was kind of my my next point with this was that um, I mean what they what they try to introduce this year at DubDub was sort of the the full suite like before this um, this this DubDub we had basically the first construction of your app was all done using AppKit and then the view portion was a hosting view for SwiftUI yep. and yep which is exactly what they was doing what the, they were doing with UIKit it's the same right, idea right and so I I don't want to say that. The, I, I don't want to get across the message that none of what you want to do is possible with Swift UI. Um, I mean, quite on the contrary, you you can always kind of dive back into AppKit if you happen to hit one of these cases that um, you know you need to override something with uh, some aspect of the the window, for example, that you just can't do with Swift UI for whatever reason. Right? You you have that capability to to do that and. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't want to say that it's an and or or it's an exclusive or proposition, right? It's not AppKit or SwiftUI. There you can still blend the two. My only point with this was that they they introduced all these new things this year to basically start your entire app using SwiftUI only. And with if you're gonna go the only SwiftUI approach, I think there's still cases where uh, you could hit problems in your Mac app. But um, again. I'm not really going to pretend that I know all the the ins and outs of uh, SwiftUI at this point. So um, when, maybe maybe when I come on next year, I'll I'll have more uh, to talk about with that. But. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what we had uh, we had Majid on, and he he's like one of the SwiftUI experts. So obviously, he's probably been doing more iOS stuff, which is not surprising when it comes to the SwiftUI audience. But one of, one of the things I feel like I've gained, so I've done a little bit of AppKit, but I've done a lot of SwiftUI since it was introduced last year. And like one of the benefits of not being an expert in AppKit is I don't know what I'm missing. <laughs> sure. So like there's like ignorance is bliss for a yeah. lot of folks who are going to start writing Mac apps where they're like, oh, you know, I didn't know that I could do this with the title yeah. bar in AppKit. And I, I didn't know this. And like to, to take an example for this, if you thought of a menu bar application, that's a good example of, I don't think that's actually possible in Swift UI. Maybe it is, but I don't think it is. Um, so these these are these are, these are the small little things that you'd have to do a lot of stuff in, in AppKit, and then maybe if you really wanted right. to, you could put like 
a Swift UI inside a hosting controller in a pop-up view or something right. like that, or pop-over right. view. And but like, yeah, exactly. I certainly don't want people to take away from this that Swift UI is unusable as a as a platform. My my only point is that there is still going to be cases where AppKit still has to be used. But the uh, I also want to kind of get across the point though that Swift UI. Uh, there are things in SwiftUI that you can do that you would probably never achieve using AppKit, right? So some of the some of the transition stuff that you can use in SwiftUI would probably be extremely difficult to do in AppKit, if not impossible, right? So there are still things that SwiftUI will give you that AppKit will not. And um, there is going to be this tug of war back and forth between, I think, what you have to use ultimately to, to get the, the functionality you want. But, you know, at the end of the day, it, it is, um, <laughs> they're both there for you to use and um, you might have to dive into both. But as somebody that's new to the, the platform, I think starting with Swift UI is perfectly fine and it'll get you probably most of the way there, if not all the way there for whatever you're trying to build. So that's that's kind of my thought so far on, on the two. And obviously I have a huge bias towards uh, AppKit mostly because um, it's what I've used, right? And so how long have you been using AppKit? I don't know, probably last seven, eight years at this point. Okay. Um, okay. So I, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's definitely, it's also just a bias on my part, right? That I, it's what I know. And so it's a lot easier to say that <laughs> the, the app kit is, is great to use, but uh, I, at the same time, I think there are great things with it. Hello everyone. I wanted to let you know about this year's 360 iDev. It's running this year from August 16th to the 19th. I spoke last year at this conference, and I'll be speaking again, and it has a great collection of speakers, uh, folks you probably know from the show, like Joe Chaplinski, Steve Lipton, Ariel Michelli, and more. 360 iDev is the premier iOS, Mac, Swift developer conference. Not only does it have a great collection of speakers, but it's a great opportunity to meet some folks online who you can connect with. For listeners of this show, you can get 20% off by using the promo code WEARESWIFT. Again, simply go to 360iDev and use the promo code WEARESWIFT to get 20% off. This is a fantastic conference with a great collection of speakers and topics. I highly recommend you check this out. So similar to like UIKit, UIKit has had like features updated to it. Um, Like especially we're seeing this big emphasis and shift away from UI table views to UI collection views, all the like diffable sources stuff. Has has there been kind of a counterpart to that when it comes to AppKit? Like has AppKit continued to improve over the last few years or is Apple kind of like just let it sit where it is? Sure. I mean, so AppKit also got the diffable data source stuff as well. So okay. both both NS uh, actually I'm not I can't remember if NS table you got it, but I know that NS collection view at least got the Diffable data source right. stuff. Um, so there, there are still okay. improvements, but it's hard to say that those are really for. <laughs> it's hard to say that they're for Mac OS necessarily, and not just a, uh, not just sort of to be utilized by Swift UI or something like that. Uh, because again, at the gotcha. end of the day, okay. Swift UI might be using uh, sort of the app controls underneath. But um, you know, obviously, Swift UI introduced some some new grid stuff this year. Uh, I'm still yes. not. I'm still not finally con- lazy views, <laughs> right? 
I'm still, there's still going to be things, like even in those simple examples, right? I mean, there's still things that UI collection view are going to be able to do that um, you can't do in SwiftUI and vice versa, right? There's going to be things SwiftUI can do yes. where it's going to be very difficult to do that in uh, UI collection view. So um, it, there is sort of this, this give and take between the two where, you know, you might have to kind of decide which one is more appropriate. But um, I think for new developers, Starting with Swift UI is probably the way to go. And if you run into something that you absolutely can't do and you find a solution that in theory you could do with AppKit or UIKit, then those are the kind of situations I think where you can start considering going the other way. But uh, it, I mean, it's very, it was made very clear from this, uh, this dub dub that Swift UI is sort of the, the emphasis going forward. And uh, I think we can talk about that when we talk maybe about the, uh, the widget stuff. But um, that's, that's kind of that's that's clear to me at this point that Swift UI is uh, what they're what they're leaning towards going forward. Yeah, well, yeah. Let's go ahead and talk about the widget stuff. Um, so, like widgets, I, I didn't even realize this that widgets are available on Mac OS as well as iOS fourteen. Um, what's your thoughts on it? <laughs> Honestly, I don't think I care that much. That's I mean it, they they try to pump up the tech as something awesome and cool, but. In my mind, I just couldn't get across that it was really any different than the other widgets that we had. I mean, for iOS, it's a little right. different because they're on the home screen. Um, for macOS, if I if if I remember, it's basically just even on Big Sur. We'll get into like the Big Sur design stuff. It just is like still not that big of a deal. The whole notification screen, yeah, or a panel or whatever you right. call it. I've I honestly never used the Today View, and I probably still will never use the Today View. I I use it as. <laughs> I use it as the note, like there's two tabs right on, on Mac OS and right. I don't remember, I'm not using Big Sur at the moment, but um, there's sort of the today one that has all the widgets and then there's the notifications one that have the notifications and by default, I'm always on the notifications one. So for me, the the widgets have never been useful. And what's funny is that if you've been using Mac OS for a while, um, you used to have a thing called Dashboard, which um, Dashboard used to just have all these little widgets that you could bring down right. at any moment's notice and they did basically all this stuff like they had the conversion tools and the weather and all the base obvious almost all the things that they tried to demonstrate while they were doing it and obviously you know they're not the same thing but i just don't really see myself using them on mac os almost at all um and ios i can get it a little more because they're going to be on the home screen right but i i just there, there was a lot of emphasis on this feature and i just I don't know. Maybe I'm missing what the whole hype is, but <laughs> they 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 had some dub dub talk where they tried to hype up basically the technology of it, and I just I'm like, yep, nobody cares about what the technology is. <laughs> it's it's. I check my notifications, and before I have a guest on the show, I turn on Do Not Disturb. That's pretty much the extent of how I use that right. panel. Yep, and so I, yeah, I mean. That panel, I mean, again, on iOS, it's a little different because it's going to be on the home screen. And yes, people go to the home screen. But I mean, from all the stuff that they demonstrated and the, the fact that there's no interactivity with it and it basically just going to bring you into the app anyway, I'm like, OK, well, then I'll just go to the app, <laughs> you know. Um, right. Exactly. I, I just I really couldn't see, you know, if it's. It feels like the watch to me, which just seems like kind of what they were going for. And in the watch, I never found almost any of the glanceable things to be useful. So, right. Well, it's almost like a complication in a lot of ways. Right. Um, I mean, the API is pretty similar. Yeah. It's basically a larger watch complication on the other platforms. And um, yep. I never found them useful when I wore the watch. And um, I 
don't, I, I don't, I just don't get it ultimately. So there's a feature that I think is going to, you know, people use, will probably use it on iOS, but as far as Mac OS goes, I just, uh, I think it's going to be one of those things that people are going to think, why, why should I implement this? Right. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Like, it makes a lot more sense on iOS. Um, I haven't, I haven't put iOS 14 on my primary phone this year, so I haven't really had a chance to take advantage of it. But like, it seems like it's a better fit there, where you actually see it all the time. So I want to get a little bit more into SwiftUI. So I started slowly moving uh, Speculate over to uh, Mac OS Big Sur and swift ui i do like that we have like we're getting rid of slowly the app delegate in a lot of these os's so like basically you don't need a ui app delegate you don't need an ns app delegate you don't even need like a storyboard anymore in watch os which i really like and it's interesting like playing around with the at main stuff and the app protocol and trying to plug that stuff in i did dabble a bit into uh, document-based apps on macOS before dubbed up DC. And I have to say, I do like the new document-based stuff in SwiftUI, especially on the Mac. Like, I can definitely tell it's a little bit janky trying to get my UI to look more like a native macOS dialog. Uh, I looked at the, like the human interface guidelines yesterday, actually, and I was like trying to get the uh, get the like colon with the field to the right, just like it does. And it's like not really built into Swift UI. Unfortunately, I still haven't figured it out. So I had to kind of like do it myself. But I do like like it, it feels and I sort of feel like this with a lot of the older Objective C code and a lot of the older APIs is it definitely feels like a lot of the older stuff is very much tied to Objective C and how Objective C works. It's felt that way since Swift came out, and I just uh, yeah no I I fully understand that, it's, especially with uh, selectors and stuff like that. You're always you always just feel like you're hacking around the system basically to yes to get it to still work. And with bindings and and is like a good example of something that you know was was very was a very heavy portion of Mac OS development early on. But then when Swift came out, it basically killed it almost because to to still be able to use bindings, you still had to you had to basically add so many additional keywords that would <laughs> that would make the property work in a in a bindings environment. And so it just kind of became this situation where it's like, well, I'm going to stop using this because it's clearly not what Swift is. It's just not meant to do it right. And so um, you, you end up hitting these situations where you're, yeah, I agree. It's it definitely doesn't. It starts to feel very unnatural, and it's only gotten worse. I think since Swift was introduced. So. Yeah, before WWDC, I tried to building an app using NS persistent document, and it just felt legacy to me in a lot of ways. Coming from my background in Swift development, um, a lot of Objective C cruft. So for me, while yeah, I agree, there's some limitations for sure with the new way to build Swift UI apps uh, with a new document feature. I'm willing to take that because of the, all the benefits I get with Swift uh, and Swift UI. Yeah, no, I think one of the more interesting ones that I was looking at was the, I didn't get a chance to play around with them, but was the menu bar stuff, which they call commands in uh, Swift UI. Yes. And yeah. They sort of have a bunch of different ways. I don't know if you got a chance to play around with it all. I, I haven't touched it, but I was trying to figure out how that would really plug. I mean, the nice thing about, app kit with um so by by a standard app kit application you're given a main menu nib that contains 
the menu bar basically and you right. can just drop any any old menu anywhere that you want and and reading this api for commands i was just at a loss for how i'm supposed to get any of these commands to really go in the right spot i don't i don't know if um you've tried it at all but yeah the api was like i added a command um we'll talk we can talk a little bit later about sandboxing but i had to for developer's sake i needed a command to just like reset my sandboxing storage stuff so it's one of those situations where you look at an API and you're like, seriously, it's that easy. And then you do it and it like works. Um, I feel like that's the same case with the command stuff because all you have to do is like basically use a V stack uh, in order to list your commands. And then you could just in your commands say keyboard shortcuts and all that stuff. And it worked out like pretty easy. The part that I was more, that, that part seemed easy. The part that I was more questioning was if I wanted to insert something into the file or edit menus, that part seemed to be wonky. Uh, I don't know if... Oh, interesting. Okay. I wonder if those are like more locked down to where you have to follow a specific template in order to add, to file and edit. Yeah, because when I when I was reading, reading the documentation for it, it said like if you insert a new command, it goes between the view and the window menus. And yeah. which I'm like, well, that's not how... <laughs> that's not really how a lot of applications work. I mean, it, I mean, it, it is, and that that's where you do put, I mean, it, it is technically the right behavior for most applications is that you insert your, your content between those two. But the, the fact that it, it just seemed really obtuse to try to insert anything into the existing menus, um, there, there seemed to be ways and they had like known commands that you could insert things after and whatnot, but it just, some of it seemed obtuse. And I, I think this comes back to, um, I remember when I was at Apple, there was there was sort of the, there, there's this battle between having uh, ha- allowing the user to do whatever they want to do and allow or yep. sort of locking the user into saying you can't do this particular thing. And I think Swift yep. UI, I think that I, sounds exactly like that, right? And it, it seems much more clear to me that they've they've definitely said, okay, any any menu items that you want to put into your application, uh, they should definitely go into here. And so it's kind of more of that locking down, I guess, which um, it might be okay, I guess, for most people. And most most applications that are new to Mac apps, uh, they never put anything in the menu bars anyway, but or at least they don't maybe maybe a preference pane or something. But well, it sounds a lot like with Swift UI, you hear the same thing from iOS developers when it comes to like navigation and tabs and how locked it down it is like you can't have dynamic numbers of tabs and things like that. And it sounds like the same situation with the Mac menu bar as well. Yeah, no, it's I mean, there's definitely it, this is one of those things that just uh, it's it's hard to when you know that you have all these abilities <laughs> on the platform and then you have to use a framework that says no to those. I think that's the biggest hurdle that I see personally, just because, yeah, it's, it's kind of the thing you were saying before. It's ignorance is bliss, where if you don't know about it, it's great because then you just use it and you won't complain about it. But when you when you know that a certain thing exists and you're like, well, how do I do this in Swift UI? Then it becomes a just sort of a, right. more, a bigger frustration, I guess. But um, anyway, that's. So before we close out, uh, I do want to ask one more question with regard to developing an app for the Mac. And it's kind of the elephant in the room when it comes to Mac app development. And that's folks who develop using Electron. Uh, that seems to be like really popular right now because of the large JavaScript community and the cross-platform uh, abilities that come with that. How would you convince somebody that's building their app in Electron why they might want to consider 
going the Objective C Swift route uh, when they're developing their Mac app. Yeah, I mean, I think the Electron thing is, is the biggest reason people probably use it is just based on the teams that exist, right? So exactly, if, yeah. If you're if you're building a if you need to build a cross platform thing, take you know Slack for example. I mean, why why would you put so much engineering effort into a platform for Windows and a platform for, you know, whatever other platform, you know, then you have the web and then you have Mac OS and Mac OS is such a small sort of segment. And if, I mean, there are a lot of things about Slack that really peeve me off. And again, it's because they don't, you know, <laughs> they're not using the native stuff, but regardless, it's, it, it really comes down to your teams. I, I think if you already have an iOS, if you're already building a native iOS app, then it shouldn't really be a huge stretch. Um, I should maybe say an iPad, iOS, iPad OS app. Right. Then I don't think it's a huge stretch to just have that be your Mac app. It's probably going to be a better experience. Um, that's kind of. I think that's honestly the the biggest defining line is if you're already building an, an iPad OS native application, I don't really see why you'd want to use. I don't know why you do an Electron app for Mac OS, um, but if you don't really have a native iPad OS application and you have a native desktop like application right using Electron for all the other platforms out there web or or Windows uh, etc then it's a hard sell honestly to get people to use uh, AppKit or Swift UI for that matter so especially if you already wrote your iOS client using uh, UI kit right so yep that makes a lot of sense. Um, otherwise, you're just tr- trying to convince somebody to make an iPad OS app. And um, that's for even a lot of companies, that's, that's still a hard sell to do. So, Well, thank you so much, Lucas, for coming on the show and talking about all the new stuff from WWDC. I think we'll come back in the next episode and cover some of the new design stuff and Apple Silicon and things like that. So thank you very much for being on the show. Where can people find you? Uh, yeah. So I'm most of my content's available on uh, youtube.com slash Apple programming. It's pretty much where I post all my content. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is just my name and you can leave that in the description or whatever. Um, and then there's also uh, GitUp, which we talked about in the beginning of the show, uh, which is uh, GitUp.co is the website you can go to to find that. Cool. And people can find me on Twitter at LeoGDion. My company is BreakDigit, uh, which is on Twitter as well. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode. And we look forward to talking to you more about Mac development in the next episode.